Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello, and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. My name is Lisa, I am your host, and today we're going to talk about all things digestion. The reason why I want to talk about digestion is because it obviously affects all of us, and it is directly linked to our nutrition as well. Before we get into the episode, though, I do want to ask you, if you enjoy this content, please go and subscribe, rate and review, give us some feedback, share with your friends. That is the best way for me to grow this podcast and simply to spread the message as well. So diving right into digestion, I really don't just want to talk about um, the foundations like, oh, how long is your digestive tract? Where does your digestion start? And so on. I don't think that that is very helpful for you. I really want to mostly talk about things like how can we immediately relieve some pain that you might be experiencing from time to time, like bloating or being gassy? How can we generally avoid getting into those situations? How can we get to the bottom of food intolerances, etc.? I think digestion and the gut microbiome have recently gotten a little bit more traction and gathered more interest. And that is because we really are just at the infant stages of the research of it. And still we have already found out quite a lot. And especially we have found out how important it really is, how important it is um, in order for us to properly absorb the nutrients in our food and not just having them pass through how important it is um, because of the gut brain connection that is clearly present when it comes to digestion how important it is for our energy levels um, and most importantly or one of the most important things um, obviously also just how you're feeling how on a day-to-day basis because nobody should have to walk around with regular episodes of diarrhea or constipation and um, of course digestion is actually also very closely um, related to longevity particularly the fiber aspect and the probiotic aspect and we'll get into that in a little while also so Again, when we talk about digestion or indigestion and digestive pain, many people just say like, oh, I'm bloated regularly. I was super gassy. It could even go down to the point of having cramps, of having actual stomach pain. And in those cases, so bloating, gassy, probably a more frequent occurrence and um, often when we increase protein too quickly often if we just eat protein sources that perhaps are not that ideal for us or maybe even if we um, consume too many cruciferous vegetables and beans and those things so a little bit less of a worry but if we get down to the pain and cramp route um, it usually comes back to some, to some sort of conditions such as leaky gut syndrome or SIBO or irritable bowel syndrome, etc. And so we do want to take a closer look at those um, as well, if that is something that we're experiencing on a more regular basis. The occasional constipation and diarrhea is um, bound to happen just with modern life. Most of us travel on a regular basis. Most of us are exposed to stress on a regular basis. And both of those are probably the biggest impactors when it comes to constipation. Um, If someone suddenly gets constipated and they just 
they have been continuing to eat pretty much the same things and the only thing that changed was stress that is actually very very common we underestimate how much of an effect that has on our, our body and it does kind of make sense because if we're stressed we can also feel ourselves haunching over a little bit more being tense so muscularly being more tense and of course there are a lot of muscles around our organs around our, our digestive tract and therefore it's simply not as smooth for all that food to go down there as well and the other thing of course is that our body probably perceives okay hey let's deal with everything else with the stress around us first and food and digestion sort of um takes a back seat there with diarrhea i'm saying that that is somewhat of a um normal occurrence from time to time simply because again with travel as well we're exposed to more bacteria for one we also probably often eat from different food places that we might not be so used to so even if you just go somewhere where they have more spicy food um, or using different kinds of oil and so on all that can lead to diarrhea we do want to note that that is not necessarily food poisoning food poisoning um, really classifies more as if you um, have to go to the hospital, have to have your stomach pumped, etc. So where do we even want our digestion, digestion and digestive frequency to be at? Of course, um, most of you know or have experienced that probably going somewhere between twice a day and every two days feels best for most of us. Um, th this depends largely also on food volume and um, in many cases people forget that if you drop your food volume you're probably also going to be going to the bathroom less frequently so people might go into a weight loss phase and then they're suddenly like oh I'm way more constipated or my stool uh, it has a different consistency as well or I'm only going every two days and if you think about your digestive tract as a pipe or you know whatever you you're putting something in there and if you're putting less in there, then obviously less is going to come out and probably less frequently as well on the other side. That's just part of it. So if you are someone who can eat 4,000 calories, you're probably going to be going more like twice a day. <laughs> and if you're someone who's in a dieting phase and you're down to 1,500 calories, you're probably lucky if you're going every day, maybe every second day. Di uh, clinically speaking, we're really only talking about proper constipation when it's, I think, more than three days, maybe even four days or so. Um, but when we're just going every second day, that doesn't clinically classify as a constipation. I do know that it can still feel very uncomfortable, especially if it's associated with um, air being trapped in your digestive tract and so on. But nonetheless, still, if you're just going every second day, it's not the end of the world. I know that this is just audio, so it's a little bit difficult for me to bring up some drawings or so of what the consistency of stool should actually look like, but color is indicative and yes, the, the consistency as well. It shouldn't be too hard. It shouldn't be something like, you know, rabbit poo, just little tiny things either, and it shouldn't be super watery um, as well. It shouldn't have... Um, distinct or foul sort of smell um with it of course it's gonna smell like um feces yes but you know what i mean um there is distinct smells to if something is wrong also so you know even if this is uncomfortable um face what things look like for you and then perhaps even just google 
um, you know, this net consistency and what's a regular consistency of stool and so on, or, or a normal consistency of stool. This is largely going to be dependent on your fiber intake as well. Um, and things like alcohol really affect that as well. You probably have experienced if you've had a day where you have had more alcohol or so, it's it has somewhat of a laxative effect. And um, speaking of laxatives, it would be ideal if we don't have to rely on taking re laxatives regularly for a regular bowel movement. Many very petite females that um, would like to go more frequently than just every two days or so take laxatives on a regular basis. And I personally am not a fan of it. It's very aggressive for your gut. So even though it kind of gets things moving in terms of actual gut health, it's really not doing you too many favors. If you have to take it on occasion, that's absolutely fine. But we don't want to be reliant on it. I would urge you to look into other things, to really take certain things out of your diet, to try certain elimination diets, and to be a little bit radical with it, especially when it comes to taking out the common offenders. Again, in dieting phases, I often see that people go a little bit bonkers on the sweeteners. And while that the effect of sweeteners, artificial sweeteners, and so on, on gut health is a topic very much discussed um, and various opinions. I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. I, for one, just want to say that for most people, in my opinion, a certain amount of artificial sweeteners is generally tolerated. However, I usually recommend keeping that to one or two um, servings per day. We forget that things like chewing gum includes that as well, that things like um, obviously diet sodas, but then usually protein bars, um, sometimes even in yogurts, protein powders, and so on. So the more things you can actually purchase that are sweetened naturally with stevia or monk fruit sweetener, the better it's going to be for your gut. There is definitely no doubt on the fact that artificial, artificial sweeteners are not going to have any positive effect on gut health. So why not try to limit it anyway? But yeah, often in dieting phases, we're like going from one chewing gum to another, to a diet soda, into a protein shake, into, you know, sweetening your non-fat Greek yogurt with a ton of sweeteners to have some, get that feeling of fullness as well. But oftentimes, various sweeteners can really make us feel more bloated, more gassy, trapping air in there. And... Um, in my opinion, it's still something to pay attention to, uh, none, not to the least that it also, if you always have something sweetened, you're obviously conditioning your sweet sweet senses <laughs> and uh, regular things like fruit are soon not going to seem so sweet to you anymore so that you almost have to like sweeten your food sometime soon and you're always craving that um that sweet hit and and it's actually a fact you can decondition yourself from that as well uh, as well as you know anything you can slowly reduce it and uh, or you can go cold, cold turkey which often is a little bit more difficult especially in a dieting phase but yeah so that would be part point number one look out for the common offenders the first one being artificial sweeteners aside from that uh, of course most people are aware of dairy and how people can be intolerant to uh, dairy but also just sensitive to dairy oh one last thing i wanted to say about sweeteners so there are many many different kinds of sweeteners and in many cases people are totally fine tolerating 10 certain sweeteners and then there might be one or two that really 
um, aggravate their gut. So for me personally, I actually don't have any issues with aspartame or um, many of the others, but sucralose, if I'll have like a glass of diet soda with sucralose in it, I feel horrible afterwards. So if you feel um, very bloated or horrible um, after a particular food, look at the exact sweetener that it's in and then maybe pay attention to whether it's just that specific one triggering that. But going back to the dairy, most people are aware, yeah, okay, there's dairy intolerance. I'm actually fine with dairy, blah, blah, blah. And um, uh, here we still want to pay attention to um, the quantity because even if you are not um, intolerant, you might still be sensitive. It might be better off limiting at least whole milk. Um, most people are fine with yogurt and yogurt being a probiotic as well, as long as it doesn't have any added sugar in it. Um, it's actually such a it's actually such a great probiotic food. So I always um, would try everything to keep the yogurt in there just with the probiotic um, qualities and because it's a great protein source also <laughs> um then but also then looking into various cheeses that can sometimes be a little bit of a trigger and just paying attention to that another common offender for um bloating gas etc could be gluten um i in my coaching clientele i haven't observed that absorbed or observed, sorry, that many people that are actually gluten intolerant. Um, again, some that are a little bit more sensitive to gluten and that tend to be a little bit more inflamed and then keep in weight up more likely with gluten. And in my opinion, uh, we it would still be best, especially when dieting, to keep it to a minimum for most people. Uh, so basically that doesn't mean you need to eat gluten-free bread everybody or purchasing the gluten-free pasta and pizza and so on uh, I think if we the majority of the time can get our carbs more from oats rice and sometimes oats do contain gluten so I'm not as hard-pressed there but you know fruit vegetables and so on then on occasion once twice a week having a good quality piece of bread perhaps sourdough which again is fermented and therefore good in terms of probiotics um, and on occasion having um, a regular pizza or so that's fine and then just potentially acknowledging that the next day you might feel a little bit off as well Talking about vegetables, though, uh, there are many people that are somewhat intolerant or sensitive to cruciferous vegetables, to beans, to legumes. So even if you are fine with a smaller quantity, sometimes going into a dieting phase and people want to, again, want to feel full. I get it. Absolutely. Um, and therefore, they eat something that is rather feel filling like cruciferous vegetables and pile up 300 grams, three cups or whatever of broccoli and then being surprised that afterwards they feel absolutely bloated and gassy that is not necessarily advantageous um, for your digestive tract either in those cases I'd say leafy greens or greens in general that's awesome absolutely but let's see that we can keep the broccoli to like 100 grams and then maybe 100 grams of spinach or a zucchini or something that's more easily digestible um, so don't while of course as we talked about in the last podcast episode as well while we do want to have fiber and vegetables also in order to give your gut something to work we also don't want to overwork it <laughs> so the general recommendation as i have mentioned before for fiber is about 10 to 15 grams per 1000 calories consumed 
and there is going to be a large personal variance here. Some people probably better airing on the side, uh, on the lower side. Some people can probably push that almost up to 20 grams per 1,000 cal calories consumed. And the important part with fiber is to increase it slowly as well and to get a good balance of soluble and insoluble fiber. The insoluble fiber is going to add a bit more bulk to your stool, whereas the soluble is going to make it into more of like a gel like paste so when you're constipated or you have diarrhea also look into uh, not just hey i'm gonna have more fiber but look into which one might be more beneficial for you um so a, an example for soluble fiber would be something like oats an example for insoluble fiber might be something like potatoes and cabbage and so on i personally used to think that more is always better and one day i was like oh why don't I make it a challenge to myself to see that I can hit my macros uh, on a plant-based diet for a couple of weeks? That was as I was like just starting out as a nutrition coach and as the vegan diet was really taken off. And I just wanted to see whether I could do it because people would always say, oh, I can't hit my protein target. I'm on a plant-based diet. I'm, I'm on a plant-based diet. And so <laughs> that's what I did. I really planned out my macros really well. Of course, I included a couple of um protein shakes per day as well but also tons of beans and legumes and I made the mistake mistake of not just easing into it I literally swapped my diet from one day to another I was so constipated I have I cannot rem remember being in this much stomach pain um ever since then or even before then like honestly it was very very uh, difficult and I probably had about four days before I had a regular bowel movement <laughs> I wish I would have noted down the exact fiber that I bumped my fiber up to. It was probably somewhere like 70. So going from like 30 to 70, um, more than doubling it. And it was just not good. So please, if you try to work up your way in fiber, and the general population really does have to do so. I'm making it sound like everybody eats too much fiber, and that's not the case. The general population or the majority of people are not getting enough fiber. So if you are someone, though, who can confidently say I'm eating five servings of vegetables and a little bit of fruit per day and a little bit of, you know, high quality grains and so on, chances are you are hitting your fiber target. And it really does pay off to find a bit of a sweet spot there. I'm looking into your MyFitnessPal um, throughout a, a week or two and just assessing where um, you your baseline is or where you generally hover around and, and what your stool and bowel movements are at the same time. Uh, the other thing that people struggle with when um, trying to quote-unquote eat better uh, is that we often increase protein, um, obviously, because most people don't eat enough. And then with that fast increase, it can also bring up some digestive discomfort. Uh, as we talked about, protein is the macronutrient which is hardest to digest. And therefore, it's, again, more work for that little worker down there for your digestive tract, and it just needs to get used to it. So the encouragement here is to slowly bring it up if your protein intake beforehand was like 60 grams and your target now is 130 don't make that quick jump and also pay attention to what protein sources you are increasing from if you are suddenly 
adding in a ton more dairy and you're noticing, oh, okay, I'm really, really gassy. Maybe I don't actually tolerate dairy all that well. Give it a few days though. Um, it might just take some time for your gut to get used to it. Um, also paying attention. Sometimes we just add a ton of protein powders or bars and neglecting the fact that that also often adds those sweeteners that I talked about earlier. So slow increase when it comes to protein as well. Another thing which can really bring up digestive discomfort is uh, incorrect. I don't know if I can say incorrect because it's not the same for everybody, but just a meal size or meal sizes that do not fit you. <laughs> um, most smaller females, and this is very generalized, but most smaller females probably do better digesting more frequent smaller meals and then having a large meal in one sitting and afterwards feeling like you're in a food coma and it's just so much work for your digestion all at, at once but on the flip side we also don't want to do constant snacking um because of more of blood sugar levels and also the signal that it sends to your body to store food but more more in the sense also of like never feeling satiated so at some point you're especially when it comes to going into your digestive tract we want to have a certain amount of amino acids in one meal so that you are actually registering as full and that message uh, gets carried to your brain that doesn't happen if you constantly just eat a tiny little bit that message is not never going to be sent because you're not crossing that threshold. So think about your meal quantity and, and size and frequency and avoid having like really, really large meals in one sitting. Yes, sometimes on the weekend or in a celebration, it's kind of part of the deal that it's at least bigger than what we're usually used to. But generally speaking, um, keep it to a certain level that you know you do well and try to avoid eating way too close uh, to your bedtime as well in order to give your digestion a chance to digest to 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 do its thing before you drift off to sleep um on the topic of digestion as well I should mention fasting and inter intermittent fasting having gotten like a really good reputation for being so amazing for um gut health as well and there really is not that much evidence for that that intermittent fasting as we know it these days with the um 16 8 sort of eating window eating slash fasting window um that that has any increased benefits on your digestive health health and comparison to just fasting every night for 10 to 12 hours the improved benefits of fasting when it comes to cell autophagy so like your dead cells being um excreted from the body better and all that really don't kick in until you fast for like 24 hours and so the intermittent fasting in my opinion just for the sense of digestive digestive health is not a good reason for that. It has some other benefits for other people when it comes to shortening the eating window and having an easier time with adherence, but the majority of people are going to do just fine only fasting for 10 to 12 hours every night. Next, of course, when we talk about digestion, um, we need to talk about probiotics and prebiotics because that's usually the first thing that people think of when it's like, oh, digestive health. Well, so what are probiotics? Probiotics are the good bacteria in our gut which we want to have more of. And the prebiotics are is the food that these bacteria feed on. We actually also have a blog when it comes to pro probiotics and prebiotics, which I will link in the show notes. Um, if you're more interested in reading that, 
there is a little bit more detail in there. Um, but generally speaking, many of the probiotic supplements are actually not doing anything. You really need to purchase a very high quality supplement and then still feed those bacteria very well afterwards. Otherwise, they're just going to die off. So the prebiotics, which are mostly present in fibrous foods, and therefore fiber, important, 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 um, it, they're definitely a good thing. Um, we don't need to supplement those, especially if you get a good variety through, again, vegetables, grains, starches, and so on. Probiotics are usually harder to come by. So probiotic food would be, like I said, natural yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, uh, sourdough bread, anything that is fermented and that needs to be refrigerated in its raw state, which means that the bacteria are still alive, um, that will be a good probiotic. The sauerkraut that you can just get off the shelf or um, also yogurts that are sweetened um, usually do not have the same bacteria or at least not the same quality of bacteria strains. So make sure it's a good quality probiotic. Unfortunately, a lot of pro like high quality probiotic foods like kimchi and so on are very expensive for what they are. And it's actually really, really easy to make some things like uh, kimchi and sauerkraut yourself. I would highly, highly encourage you to look into some of the recipes. Some of them only require like three ingredients and maybe might be done within 20 minutes. It's just that uh, the fermenting process obviously takes a few weeks afterwards and it's a little bit more annoying like checking on them and so on. I've also made kombucha, so a fermented um, tea before and I loved it. It was a, very delicious, refreshing, <laughs> um, and B, yeah, really, I could, I could almost feel, or maybe it was a placebo, but I don't know, um, that it, that acidity, acidity in there, and was helpful for my gut health. So, probiotics, prebiotics, super important. I will do something. I don't know if people on a podcast do that normally, but I'll actually refer you um, to a different podcast on the. Huberman Lab or Huberman Lab. I don't never know how to pronounce his name. Um, and there he had a specialist on. I'll also put that in the show notes um, with regards to gut health. And um, but more importantly, probiotics, prebiotics, where they talk about the importance of those and that really the more we can get of those, the better. Prebiotics, easier to get by, but probiotics, we kind of need to make a conscious effort. So now I do still want to touch on um, some of the conditions that I mentioned earlier that some people might actually be suffering from even when watching out or yeah, watching your meal size, your fiber, protein, and so on. And um, so irritable bowel syndrome and leaky gut, both of those, like I said, tend to flare up the most when people are stressed. And there are other conditions as well, but I'm just going to generally broadly talk about those, all of those in a blanket. And um, in many cases, it's actually worth doing a little bit of an elimination diet to really get to the bottom of what it is or what quantity it is. Uh, because it might be, you might have an inkling of like, oh, I've eaten beans and I'm feeling X, Y, Z. You might also be able to get it diagnosed and uh, have the confirmation from a doctor. Yes, you have leaky gut, but you're still not going to know exactly what foods and what quantity of foods are um, bringing up those symptoms for you. An example for an el elimination diet is actually the carnivore diet, where you basically cut out all fibers, 
um, all plant um, plants in general, grains as well, and so on. And then uh, giving your gut a bit of a chance to have a reset and afterwards bringing one by one or very slowly one food back at a time. So it could be just with the carnivore, your um, as the name kind of suggests, mostly just eating meat, fish. I think eggs are allowed also. And then you are adding in, um, you could be starting with something like spinach one day. So things that are more easily digested or an orange or whatever and then slowly working your way up keeping a food diary and examining every single thing how it makes you feel uh, not just immediately but also 8 10 24 hours later a slightly more inclusive elimination diet is the low FODMAP diet. I also have written a blog about that. So that mostly just ex excludes the vegetables that are really high in fiber um, and mostly contains more things like um, yeah, zucchini, I think tomatoes or bell peppers are in there as well. Uh, and even here after a few weeks, so giving your got a reset there as well, bringing back the others. So for me, elimination diets should never be something that should be carried on forever unless you're really intolerant to everything else. Um, but it should be more of a reset and then bringing things slowly back in and really determining what quantities work best for your body. Uh, one more thing to touch on in terms of rec general recommendations that we hear on a frequent basis. Many people say uh, the more diversity, the better when it comes to fiber in, particularly, in particular. But we also know that when it comes to overall um, weight loss success, but also maintenance and so on, eating similar things on a regular basis is incredibly helpful. I personally wouldn't stress too much about the diversity when it comes to vegetables. I would say more eat somewhat um, so that the, the fact that you eat vegetables and enough fiber on a daily basis is the most important thing. If you only have two things of fruit and three vegetables that you like and everything else you hate and don't tolerate, stick with those. Like don't force the diversity in there. If you're someone who can eat a little bit seasonal and, you know, mixing things up from time to time right now is uh, might be plums in season and then in spring it might be raspberries and so on. Eating seasonal is actually great. You could keep your meals and the base of your meals largely the same. So, for instance, if you have overnight oats with your yogurt and your oats and like probiotics, prebiotics, etc. And every morning and you could add a slightly different flavor from time to time by mixing up your fruits and the same with your main meals maybe keeping your um, meats somewhat similar and your rice in there and then having different kind of vegetables so don't overcomplicate things a little bit of diversity is good but for me it's more important that you are consistent with your probiotics prebiotics fiber um, and generally feeling good um, with your digestion as well so uh, on, uh, on another point, or just to summarize that, I guess I always recommend bringing up protein and fiber gradually, implementing probiotics and prebiotics daily. So assess your food log, log into, look into what of these foods um, are pre prebiotics and probiotics. And if you're not, if you don't have them, um, I would assume that you have some prebiotics in there, but if you don't have any probiotics, then see how you can 
put some of them in on a consistent basis or actually sourcing a high quality supplement um, sticking with the vegetables that aid your digestion but also trying to get in a little bit of seasonal variety find a meal timing and size that works for you so you're not skimping too much early on the day either um, just to have a really really big dinner but at the same time avoiding constant snacking etc and performing an animal elimination diet if needed. I know that this is getting kind of lengthy, but nonetheless, I promised you also some strategies how we can ease bloating and gas right away. So of course, we don't have any <laughs> um, miracle things here, and I'm not talking about any medication, but some things that have aided people. So A, usually when it comes to having a tense stomach, um, something that helps is warmth around there and that could just be a warm cup of tea ideally some with a good herbal tea like a peppermint tea is great for your digestion as well it might be um uh, fennel tea as well again the the good old housewife science there <laughs> will point you into the direction of of several herbal teas that are beneficial for digestion could also be a hot water bottle if it's really like more like cramps and so on. Um, it could be a warm bath. So anything that helps your muscles around there relax um, is going to have a soothing effect. Um, sometimes after a really large meal eaten, we, um, we can aid that digestive process a little bit with some acidity. And that could be an espresso coffee. Uh, it could even be, and that sounds really strange, but it could even be like a little shot of alcohol. Um, uh, again, sounds super strange. It has to be very high percentage though. So something like a um, tiny little bit of, of vodka or um, tequila sometimes actually helps there. Um, but if you don't want to take it that far and probably a slightly um, more sustainable way to treat that would be also with regards to uh, apple cider vinegar. So a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in a warm glass of water, for instance, can also have some benefits for like getting things going down there. Um, and uh, talking about espresso, generally coffee is somewhat of a laxative. Um, I find sometimes when people stop smoking, um, they are a little bit more backed up because smoking also tends to be a laxative. And while we don't always want to say like, oh, just drink some coffee um, to you can't, you can only have so much coffee in a day. Um, but even decaf coffee works as somewhat of a laxative. So if you have one or two cups per day to help with that, uh, absolutely nothing wrong. And of course, movement actually helps as well. Yes, if we're totally cramped up lying on the ground and we're not going to be able to get moving, but even just going for a walk some, can sometimes help with constipation. Now, when it comes to diarrhea, it's much more um, looking into what fibers should I be eating now, perhaps something uh, like ground flaxseed or um, chia seeds sometimes can be helpful as well. There are various strategies when it comes to diarrhea, but I think most people are more likely to suffer from constipation on a more regular basis. The biggest point here, though, is stress and managing your stress as best as you can. Um, and of course, food quality overall, like I alluded to earlier, regular alcohol consumption, regular um, consumption of too much greasy food, too much fast food, and so on. Those tend to be sort of the almost that feels like a stone in your stomach and you can't really get rid of that too easily but yes 
walking, um, warm beverages, uh, apple cider vinegar, or even the water with lemon in it, they kind of help with that as well. So I hope you found this helpful. I hope you found some strategies to assess your diet overall to prevent constipation and diarrhea from setting in, to give your digestive tract the best environment it could be possible could possibly have with good bacteria in it with good food for those bacteria to feed on um, so that also you optimize your broad gut health and um, gut brain connection <laughs> and and just overall energy levels as if our gut sometimes has way too much to digest perhaps if it's too much fiber or just too much food in one go and we don't have energy for other things we don't have mental energy we don't have energy for training um and so it's actually important uh, on that level as well, not just from a well-being or, or how I'm feeling, but from a performance perspective too. So before I ramble on too long about all this, I hope uh, you enjoyed it. If you have any questions pertaining to this, please don't hesitate to send us a message, like I said, and don't forget to rate or re review. I hope you have a wonderful day and thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life, or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.